The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Jesus and his disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know this because he was teaching his disciples. He told them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. But three days after he is killed, he will rise. But they did not understand the statement and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent because on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he will be the last of all and the servant of all. Then he took a little child and placed him in their midst. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but also him who sent me. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, if you want to be picky, and technically, there are four eyes in Christian ambition. But there is one kind of eye that is totally absent, nowhere to be found in the ambition of a Christian, and that is the eye of self. Last week, we heard our Savior Jesus teach us that anyone who wants to follow him must pick up their own cross behind Christ and follow him carrying that cross. And we heard what these crosses are, why God sends them into our lives, how he uses them for our good. There's one thing Jesus said last week that maybe gets a little less focus. Jesus also said those who follow him will deny themselves. Our Savior Jesus says, no more I, no more selfish ambition. The Christian's goal in life is no longer to serve self or advance self. No more I, no self. And that, of course, is a world apart from our world's definition of ambition. You know, it wasn't too long ago, actually, that describing a person as ambitious, saying a person had ambition, was actually kind of a backhanded insult because that word implied that the person just wanted to get ahead. The person had this kind of Machiavellian streak and they were going to climb the ladders in this world and it really didn't matter them how many heads they had to stomp on or who they had to step on to get there. And then sometime in the last couple of generations, ambition turned into a virtue. Selfish ambition, something you want to have. You even hear uh, people in their 50s and 60s say things now like, you know the problem with kids today? No ambition. It's almost like being willing to push to the front of the line. Now that's a, a quality in a person because, hey, face facts. You want to get anywhere in this world? That's what it takes. You've got to push yourself ahead. The Christian's ambition, or maybe to say it better then, the Christian's goal, the Christian's desire in life is to be last, to put others first, and serve them. And this is the goal of the Christian's life simply because it is the way of the one that we follow, Jesus Christ. 
And today, Jesus teaches his first disciples and these disciples listening this morning how he served us and put us first. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. But three days after he is killed, he will rise. Right off the bat here, very first words out of Jesus' mouth, he is already teaching us how selfless his goals are when he calls himself the Son of Man. Because there was a time when Jesus was only the Son of God. From all eternity, Jesus is always only the all-powerful, all-glorious Son of God. And when his heavenly Father called Jesus to come into this world, he gave it up. He lowered himself. He took on our humanity to come into this world and save us human beings. The Son of God became also the Son of Man, wrapped himself in humble human flesh to save us. He did suffer everything that he predicted here. He was betrayed by a friend to people who hated him and caused him to suffer terribly before he died on the cross and was buried. Now the question is, how much of this massive humiliation, how much of surrendering heaven's glory and suffering this horrific death, how much of this was for Jesus' benefit? What did he have to get out of any of that? And the answer, of course, is nothing. As we say in the Nicene Creed, it was for us and for our salvation. The entire goal of Jesus' human existence coming into this world was to serve us, put us first, save us from our sins. And we know he succeeded. He achieved that goal because just as Jesus also predicts here, he rose three days after he died for our sins. Jesus had... A goal. He had a mission when he came into this world, and none of it was to benefit himself. It was all for us and for our salvation. No self, no I at all in his ambition. Right after Jesus instructs his disciples about this greatest act of selfless service, putting others ahead of himself, saving others from their sins, the disciples prove. They don't get the concept. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about here. And I actually don't think we should come down too hard on the disciples for not understanding what Jesus is saying. Even though Jesus is speaking very plainly, it's just not every day you hear someone predict exactly how he's going to die and then predict that he's going to rise from the dead. The list of people in history who have done that is very short. So I don't think we should blame the disciples for thinking, what? Are we supposed to be taking this literally? Where they go wrong, though, is that they don't ask Jesus to explain. They don't ask him to clarify. If they had, Jesus could have said, yes, one of you is going to betray me. I'm going to stop breathing. I'm going to suffer and die. And three days later, I'm going to get back up and walk around again. Then they would have understood. But they didn't do that, so they don't understand what Jesus is talking about, and they prove it by spending their time on a journey arguing about which one of them is the greatest. So for the disciples, there's still 12 big eyes in Christian ambition. Each one is still out to elevate himself, to get glory for himself. And the disciples' way 
of viewing ambition here, this is the way that our sinful nature always looks at ambition. When the sinful nature looks at ambition, all it sees is a 72-point font, bolded, underlined, italicized, red, me, only me. The sinful nature's ambition is always only about self, and it's that sinful nature that we have stuck with us until the day we die that causes us to define ambition not the way that Christ does, but the way that his disciples do here, and it causes us as Christians, every Christian is guilty of it, of at least at times using our money, our time, our resources for self first. Others, second, you know, if at all. And nobody likes to be accused of being selfish, so if you think maybe this isn't you, give yourself a little test. We're all busy people here, some of us extremely busy. So let's say when you wake up in the morning, your checklist, your agenda for that day has a hundred things on it you've got to get done. Is there anything on that, on that list primarily for you, to earn for you, to advance you, to lift yourself up. There is at least a little bit of I left in the ambition of every Christian. And when Jesus saw that attitude very strongly in his disciples, he taught them, if anyone wants to be first, he will be the last of all and the servant of all. Jesus Christ says many challenging things to his followers. That little paradox, first is last, the last is first, that may be the most challenging thing of all that Jesus says to his people. But remember, Jesus practiced what he preaches perfectly. Jesus came down into this world not to flaunt glory in the face of the people he made, but to put himself at the back of the line to put every single member of the human race ahead of himself and pay for the sins of all. And in that service of our Savior, we have full, free forgiveness for every selfish goal, for every eye-centered attitude in our lives. What Jesus has done for us, we have forgiveness and salvation. We also have the strength to watch what our Savior does and follow his example. That we too deny ourselves. That we forsake our own good when it means looking out for the good of others. We serve other people without expecting them to serve us back. We promote and glorify other people without looking for it for ourselves. In the footsteps of our Savior, no more I. And we do that with additional encouragement from our Savior Jesus. Jesus promises that those people who do live that way in this world, who live like the Savior and put others ahead of themselves, will be rewarded for it in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus, whose ambition was perfectly selfless, he is again glorified in the heavenly kingdom. He is reigning at the Father's right hand, and he promises that those who make it their mission in life to serve will receive their reward there in heaven. Make yourself last here, Jesus says, and you will be first there. And let's not forget 
the little object lesson that Jesus gives his disciples. He brings right into the middle of them a little child, and Jesus hugs the little child, holds that little child in his arms. Now, little children, if you're looking to be served in life, little children are not someone that you want to be around. Little children have very little to offer people who want to be served. They don't have, in my experience, they don't have a whole lot of money. Uh, they can't do much hard labor to pay you back. They don't have any position in the world where they can advance your reputation. And I know what some of you are thinking, oh, but they repay you with their love. Oh, that's nice. I'm talking about real things here, okay? <laughs> Try going into the food line and buying your groceries with the love of a little child and see how far you get. That's why a wise person once said, about the most selfless thing you can do is raise a child. And it's why Jesus held a child in his arms and pointed to service to that person as an example of this pure, selfless Christian goal of serving others. And this is something that Jesus says on several occasions, that when you serve the least, a little child, a prisoner, someone who's economically down, you are actually serving Jesus himself at the same time. And you are not just serving Jesus, but you are also serving your heavenly Father who loved you and sent Jesus into this world to save you. The problem is that out of all the sinful attitudes that plague us on this side of heaven, selfishness is probably the strongest and the most stubborn of all. The most tenacious spirit is I, I, I. You serve me, I go first. I get the best. It's straight into the heart of that selfishness that the Son of God says, make yourself last. Be the servant of all. And in order to do that, we have to remember how our Savior Jesus has done exactly that for us. Grace on top of grace. He also promises to reward us when we follow his example. Grace on top of grace. He gives us the privilege of serving him and our Heavenly Father when we serve others. May Jesus grace to us erase every little trace of I from our ambition. May his love for us lead us to deny ourselves and serve as he has served us. Amen.